Our Father, we are grateful for another day, another opportunity to meet together. We thank you for the um, rich feast we have had in the 23rd Psalm. And as we conclude our reflections on that tonight, we do pray that um, we would find uh, practical avenues in our lives to display um, our understanding of the psalm and the difference that it makes for us to be singers of it, especially to be able to sing it with respect to Jesus. And we pray also as we reflect on the pathway ahead for us in a new study, and we pray that this would be a rich time as well, and we ask it all for Christ's sake. Amen. All right, if any time during the proceedings, uh, it seems like my volume is not loud enough properly, let me know and I'll try and do something about it. All right, what we are, um, I hope everyone got uh, the um, email with the uh, sort of Psalm 23 amplified. Um, And I'm going to read that tonight just to remind us of where we've been. Uh, And then I want to talk a little bit about ways we might apply these truths um, practically. So, the 23rd Psalm of David. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not be in any want. He makes a resting place for me in lush pastures. He leads me to thirst-quenching waters. He restores my vitality by refreshment. He leads me in the right paths for the renown of his name. Even though I walk through a valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil outcome, for you are with me, your club and your crook protect and guide me. With care you prepare a feast before me in the presence of my enemies, those who are entirely subdued. For the feast you anoint my head with moisturizing, aromatic oil. My cup is overflowing with your bounteous provision. Only Jesus' providential care and his steadfast loyalty and love shall pursue me all the days of my life's journey until I shall return to the house of Jesus to find my lasting dwelling place. Well, we have the two metaphors, the metaphor of the shepherd and the metaphor of the host. Uh, In both cases, the um, metaphors are used to communicate the underlying wonder of Uh, both of those roles in our lives, that is uh, provision and protection. The shepherd is the provider for the sheep and protects them. The host, in an even more wonderfully intimate way, is the provider and protector um, of the one who he has gathered uh, to welcome into his feast. And um, with those things in mind, then, there were a few additional reflections that I thought would be worth our time. Any time along the way, please don't hesitate to uh, stop me if you have a question or comment. So, uh, first of all, um, how then should we live? Uh, For those who don't know Jesus, um, we should urge them that an invitation to a banquet has gone out into the world. And any who will can come. 
It is a banquet that Jesus himself has set. But this is uh, not an a, a, uh, unvarnished good because Jesus does warn, warn solemnly in his parables. Uh, those invited who willfully and foolishly refuse to come will make the master of the house angry. And those of you refuse to have come will be shut out of the banquet forever. This is the force of the story that Jesus tells in Luke 14, 16 and following. Jesus said, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've brought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've brought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Well, as readers of Psalm 23, surely part of our testimony to our friends and neighbors must include a recounting of the wonderful sufficiency of our shepherd and host in his provision and protection. A great part of our testimony is to speak of this wonderful banquet and to speak of how we have been blessed by Jesus being our host. This is a powerful apologetic in Scripture. One of my favorite examples of it is in the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9. We can't take the time tonight to read the whole of it. It's delightful. But uh, Jesus heals a man everybody knew was blind from birth. The Pharisees are unhappy about it. They're cross-examining him and the people around, and uh, they're accusing Jesus of Sabbath-breaking by healing the man. Uh, And finally, they're angrily cross-examining him. In verse 24, for the second time they call the man who had been blind. And they said to him, give glory to God. We know this man, that is Jesus, the one who healed him, is a sinner. And the man answered, Whether he is sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's irreducible in the man's understanding. And it's a powerful testimony uh, that he knows himself to have been in one condition and something without his doing at all has happened and he's wonderfully restored to sight. And I I think that Psalm 23 teaches us that part of our 
testimony to our unbelieving friends is to say that we were a people who had no provision and no protection. But now we have a host in heaven who is wonderfully making provision and protection for us in this world. And uh, that what we didn't have, we now have, and we're grateful. In a sense, we want uh, to compel them to come in by our delight and gratitude in who our Savior is as he's portrayed in this psalm. So, just at first those thoughts about um, how this psalm rightly uh, functioning in our lives can play a role in our witness to others. Second, uh, to reflect a little more on how Jesus prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. We want to ask ourselves, do we really get this point? Every enemy that you have, that I have, has been entirely subdued by Jesus. Every enemy. This is the promise of God. Through the prophet Isaiah, a feast with all enemies disarmed. Um, I alluded to this in the discussion, but I thought it would be interesting for you to have the whole text before you. It's Isaiah 54 at 14 and then through to 55. I won't read the whole of it, but excerpts up from it. Um, Here God is talking about bringing Israel back from their captivity. And he says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear it. Far from terror, for it shall not come near you. For no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Come, everyone, who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You see there the promise of this feasting in the context of uh, being utterly freed from the fear of enemies uh, and the wariness that would come. uh, and, And this is a glorious picture of what is true now but shall finally be consummated in the world to come. This is the promise of Jesus to his disciples. Simply put in chapter 16 at verse 33. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You, you see, that's past tense there. That's the reality that we live in now. Jesus has overcome the world. No weapon fashioned against his people can possibly succeed. 
The only level of discomfort that you experience from enemies in this world is because Jesus has designed that for your good. He allows them some leeway in your life that you might become stronger, wiser, more faithful, more dependent upon him. In terms of your harm, your enemies right now are utterly subdued. And you can feast with Jesus in the very presence of those enemies without fear. That is the kind of confidence we ought to have. Far more than that of the psalmist could have had. Because we know not only the fact of the conquest, but we understand the nature of the conqueror. And no one can snatch us from his hand. So that's the second thought. First, the our enjoyment of Christ's feast as a testimony to others to uh, call them to come to the feast. Uh, The second, uh, the promise that we should feast in the presence of our enemies. Why don't we pause there for a minute and see if anyone has a thought or a reflection. Uh, Otherwise, I'll press on. No, not now. I'm just, these are miscellaneous observations uh, about a practical application from our psalm psalm series. Oh, okay. All right. So then later we'll have a chance to talk about our reflections on different verses or what this is. Uh, uh, Sure. Yeah. Or you can do that now. We can pause. Well, I just, I, I didn't want to insert something if you're on a roll. <laughs> oh, well, I couldn't tell whether I was on a roll or not. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I should uh, pause for a minute anyway. Um, well, I'll just wait. All right. <laughs> so put up one of your little hand figures whenever you think I'm on a roll so I, I can get some audience feedback here. (laughs) All right, the third point of application. Um, In light of the message of this psalm, we ought to realize how great is our calling to live in thanksgiving. Calvin, reflecting on this point, put it this way. Let each of us stir up himself to gratitude to God for his benefits And the more abundantly these have been bestowed upon us, our gratitude ought to be the greater. Well, I mean, the point we've tried to show is that however abundant um, the blessings David and Israel uh, had through this psalm, we have uh, immeasurably greater blessings to know Jesus as the one who is our shepherd and host. And therefore, our gratitude ought to be all the greater. Um, and give us laws that cause to have a care to try and make sure we live a life of gratitude. Now, we know that God uses this worldly means uh, to supply the feast. 
that we enjoy. David knew this very well. Um, that though he had uh, legions of cooks and farmers and soldiers and so on, all that uh, served him, he knew that everything he had, nonetheless, for all those intermediaries, uh, came from the very hand of God. And again, Calvin reflects on this wonderfully and helps us to see the good uh, that David made of his prosperity. He said, clearly, David's mind, by the aid of this temporal prosperity that he enjoyed, was elevated to the hope of an everlasting inheritance. In other words, the good things were for him a pathway into better things. They didn't become a drag upon him, dragging him down only to the things of this world, but rather were um, uh, he was elevated, uh, as Calvin put it, to uh, things that were lasting, that the good things of this life are just temporal examples of. So that's the third point, a life of thanksgiving. Uh, The fourth is this. Christ is our host in heaven, and this is why we are called to be hosts on earth. This was the point I made to Martha on Sunday when she said while she was making bed, she thought about this a little, and I told her I wanted to make a larger point out of that. Um, the To be hospitable reflects an essential Christ-likeness. It's this that explains why hospitality is such a high Christian calling and not merely a matter of this worldly conviviality. Over and over again, believers are urged uh, with the utmost urgency that they are to show hospitality. In Romans 12, 13, uh, Paul is... uh, 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 offering them all kinds of practical encouragements about how to live in light of the gospel. And he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Now, the phrase translated seek to show, uh, that uh, the word used there in the Greek is most often in the ESV, um, translated pursue and lexically it has the sense of uh, haste and intensity in effort in going after something Uh, the word hospitality in the Greek is philozenia the word philos you know from Philadelphia perhaps city of brotherly love philos is brotherly love and xenia, you might know, from xenophobia, which means a fear of strangers, fear of foreigners. Well, here we have the opposite, not xenophobia, but rather philoxenia. Uh, it's literally the love of a stranger. Um, Paul is saying, pursue with intensity of effort the calling uh, to show the love of benevolence, to those who don't have any family 
um, um, sense, that we don't have a sense of family obligation for, but just is showing that we grant their need as fellow creatures. 1 Peter 4, 9 adds to our understanding. He too insists that believers are to show hospitality to one another, but he says, without grumbling uh, and uh, as good stewards of God's grace. In other words, um, the uh, we have a stewardship of grace that expresses itself in showing hospitality without grumbling. To put these two texts together then, we'd say that here we see a calling to be carried out with determination, It implies active pursuit, not mere grudging bestowal under some necessity, rather a willing and cheerful mind. Um, And this is rooted in uh, the Christ-likeness that is being formed in us after uh, his great role as our host in heaven. So central, central is this to Christian sensibility in the first century, that it becomes a mark of those who have been blessed by God for leadership in the church. So in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says that an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, and so on, and hospitable. In his list in Titus, chapter 1 at verse 7, he says an an overseer is God's steward, and he must be hospitable, a lover of good, and so on. Now, it's interesting, the word steward there, God's steward, it literally means one who's in charge of running a household. And do you see that if you're going to be um, uh, helping to run the household of God, then one of the crucial things in the Christian household must be manifest in your life. That is, that it's a hospitable household. In these things, the elder is to be an example of Christian character uh, to all God's people and to encourage them in that end. So we see this as well. Women who in their widowhood were to be provided by the church are to be those who have devoted themselves to hospitality. Uh, that's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 9. And as I said, this reflects Christ's own ministry to his people. He goes to prepare a place. He is setting a table for us. And we prepare a place to grant, to gather in others and to set a table to be like Jesus. What a blessed thing it is to partake of his ministry to his people in providing hospitality. Thus is the heavenly minded. Surely we ought to look forward to greeting our heavenly, our, our, excuse me, surely we should look forward to greeting our host of heavenly hospitality, Jesus Christ, and thus be fitted to be hospitable in this world. Um, this is uh, a precious truth, and if you're interested in it more, I, um, several years ago, gave a two-sermon um, series on uh, trying to um, develop 
a sort of biblical theology of hospitality. And um, I'm going to put it in the chat so that you can have resource to it. Uh, it was in August of 2017, and I was preaching from Romans 12, 10 to 13. The first part, you can see, is a kind of biblical theology of hospitality. And then the second part is some counsels and encouragements with respect to the practice of hospitality. So that if our little discussion tonight here is whet your appetite at all, um, then uh, there's more there for you. Uh, finally, the last, um, to consider that uh, the blessing of provision and protection will continue forever. Um, these blessings of provision and protection were not given to us in this world so that our hearts and minds might rest here to become satiated by this worldly gifts. That is in part why the Lord remo- removes them from time to time, tweens them off of, us off of them. Ka- Calvin grasps this. David, he said, regulated himself in the midst of his prosperity, for he, quote, knew well how to distinguish between the table which God prepared for him and a trough for swine. Uh, that is, David wanted to make sure that he never transformed God's table into a trough for people to swill in and uh, satiate themselves in and to have it be the end of their existence. God's purpose for us in these blessings is to have them be valued only to the degree that they lead us heavenward, that they help us as an anticipation of greater blessings to come, that we might be sustained through this world in the hope of our homecoming. Now many mock this point of view. They call it pie in the sky, by and by. But anyone who understands the scripture aright knows that it is by divine appointment that the hope of heaven is perfectly adapted to sustain us through all the troubles we face in this world. As Paul says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And as heirs, we await as Peter puts it, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So five uh, points of application of the psalm that I thought would be worth us reflecting on and uh, to be able to have you take some time later on to think about them and respect your own life. Um, Questions, comments, reflections on any of these things? I'm happy to have you. Or, Jen, if you want to uh, um, go on to something that you want to do, that's fine as well. Any questions or comments, thoughts? Hey, can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to 
the readings that you sent around? Uh, you mean for next time? Uh, sorry, these are the Voss readings from last time. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris. What? Did, did you send Gerhardus Voss readings on the Psalter? Um, I don't recall that. Okay. Um, sorry, I must have gotten mixed up. <laughs> sorry. Uh, let me think. Oh, perhaps I did. Let me let, let me look, Chris. Um, I mean, you know, that's two weeks ago. That's a long time. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let me get to those notes and see. If, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. No, I didn't send. Well, I just sent you the titles around. Part of what I, I was I had three sources for what I was doing uh, last Wednesday. Two are um, writings of Voss. One was a sermon, yeah. uh, and the other one uh, was a uh, essay on the eschatology of the Psalter. Right. I guess I thought you. I mean, I know you didn't really go into that tonight. I know it was background more for last week. I just wanted to ask a question. Oh sure. I, I printed these off and um, excitedly wanted to read them. I've read some Voss in my past. I know Voss is considered difficult by some folks. Some of his stuff I remember. It's been years now, but I remember it being kind of thick. Um, but a lot of getting into the weeds of the languages and stuff. But the, conceptually, you know, his biblical theology book was pretty profound for me. I've, I, and I've read Grace and Glory. I just, have, I just wanted to say the eschatology of the Psalter I just could not penetrate this thing, and I wondered if, if that's just me. I mean, did, did you enjoy it? Did you find it easy to get through? Is it known to be one of his more difficult um, writings, or have I just fallen off the map and fallen off a cliff in terms of my ability to comprehend? No, no, it, it's pretty dense uh, material, and, um, you know, his Pauline eschatology is considered by many theological students the most difficult thing to read in human history. <laughs> and so uh, this is of the same character as that Pauline eschatology. Uh, and, um, but I do think it, you, it will bear fruit on a very slow, reflective reading. Um, it's not something you'll be able to breeze through. Um, it may be something that you'd read a paragraph or two and then sit down and think for a minute as to what he was trying to get at. But I do think it's enormously helpful in parts. Um, now, I was using not the whole essay, but the parts of the essay that addressed what I hope to speak to. Um, okay. And uh, I did quote uh, somewhat extensively in that presentation, and uh, um, I, I tried to maybe uh, make a little clearer what he was saying, but it, it was uh, very profitable for me. Um, the sermon is uh, um, much more accessible. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up. Should I should I should I tackle this much shorter sermon? Yeah. Be much shorter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. Go with the sermon first. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Chris. Sorry, I, my mind was not on that at all. Any uh, other questions or comments or reflections on anything we've covered tonight thus far? Dave, 
Oh, I'm sorry, Jenny. No, go ahead. I should be raising my hand. Yeah, I couldn't figure out how to do it. Sorry. Um, Jenny said something on Sunday that was so helpful to me when we were talking about um, eating in the presence of our enemies that are subdued. I don't think of having that many enemies, but Jenny reminded us that the world, the flesh, and the devil are our enemies. Right. I found that really helpful. Right. Yes, exactly. I did as well. That's a good point to raise. Yeah, happily, we live in a world where we hardly have to have any awareness at all, at least in Fairfax County. Um, and uh, so we don't have much firsthand uh, sense of that. Um, our forefathers did, of course. Um, uh, you know, there it was no accident that a flintlock was hung over the fireplace because that might need to be something you grabbed at any minute to um, protect yourself and your house. And, and there are folk all over the world who have to live with that kind of wariness. But happily, there's no immediate. But the spiritual is in some ways more profound. And, uh, uh, and in fact, it is the, again, to take the idea of using your this worldly experience as a stairway, um, that would be the appropriate thing. Even if, if, even if we did have the need uh, for wariness because of immediate enemies present, that ought to lead our minds up to the great uh, enemies that we have and to be reminded that Jesus has disarmed all of them. Dave? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'll, I'll tag along with what Kate said because um, I think of putting together with this um, Christ's temptation when he went into the desert for 40 days. And that temptation was um, spiritual. And the, the devil, so that's one of them. Um, was offering him the world and um, it was and Christ was in, in the flesh and so they're all there and he never sinned well flesh though just to be precise doesn't refer to our embodied self it refers to our sinful nature right right but and he had he was in the flesh bodily, right. but in his flesh, he never sinned. Right. And, but we don't live that way. Right. And so this psalm, I, I have found, is um, very challenging. Just in the first sentence, um, the Lord is our shepherd, that, and he's guiding us, but if we're not in the word, we can't be guided by him in a way. I mean, we might hear a sermon and think, oh, that was nice, or something. But if we're not deeply in the Word, we're not learning about our shepherd and how he's shepherding us. And so then the world and our flesh get the best of us. And then I shall not want is, 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 a, is a challenge also, because there are so many things offered to us or visually 
we encounter every day um, things we don't have that we wish we had, things other people have, and we think we need them in order to, I mean, just your example of being hospitable, if we don't have the things others have for that, we can't do, we can't be hospitable because, you, you know, I mean, there's so many things that you learn through the Christian life, what it actually means, the world of flesh and devil. Mm-hmm. Because they're always with us. Right. And learning the difference between actually being bodily weary, which isn't a sin, as opposed to um, just... I don't feel like it, or I'd rather be doing something else, or I don't, you know, whatever it is that would be a simple um, response to right. hospitality. And so, taking the taking these to heart and thinking them, of, thinking of it, is um, I find daily a challenge. Yeah, yeah. The um, but the temptation of Christ that you brought up is especially instructive, uh, given your point about the need for God's word to be hidden in our heart and so on, um, that we might not sin. Because Jesus um, completely disarmed Satan by aptly deploying the sword of the Spirit in his favor to overcome the tempter of uh, in very powerful ways, having recourse to Scripture to um, correct the lies that Satan was trying to uh, propagate, even through the Scripture himself. Right. Yeah, that's a yeah. that's a great point. And Calvin has some powerful words in his commentary on um, those sections of Scripture in Matthew and Luke. Um, talking about that, it does, it's so helpful to think of how Christ did yes. answer Satan. All right, thank you. Other thoughts, reflections uh, about uh, the Psalms or the, um, the way you're responding to our meditation on them or these thoughts about application anything there if not I'll press on a little bit um, we're not going to do too much more this evening um, all right well um, let me um, just introduce where we're going and uh, I hope all of you have the syllabus that we'll be using. Um, the uh, And it's not the first one you received. <laughs> I revised it. The first one you received, uh, I was thinking we would meet tonight on uh, the first chapter of that book. Um, but that plan didn't work out. So you're looking, you want to make sure you have the syllabus that came with today's notice um, about the Zoom meeting. And it's, it's, it says summer, fall 2021 at the top, not just summer 2021. Um, and you see, uh, we're going to be reading 
Lessons from the Upper Room by Sinclair Ferguson. Um, this is a study of um, John, uh, John chapter uh, 13 through 17. And let me encourage you that before you start reading the book, or if you've already start, started reading, that'd be wonderful, but it, that um, you read through the whole of John 13 through 17 first. Um, it, it's only a few pages, really. Um, in fact, Dr. <laughs> Ferguson goes through and he says it's five chapters, 155 verses, and less than 4,000 words. <laughs> um, he was feeling in a statistical mood that day. That's from the introduction. But he also says um, that uh, in those words, we're given what Thomas Goodwin, the great Puritan preacher, called a window into Christ's heart. And that's really the wonderful thing we'll be pursuing in this study. Um, the In the introduction, Dr. Ferguson uh, says that he, he wants us to think of the upper room as an opportunity for us to spend a few hours with Jesus' disciples, listening to his teaching and overhearing him pray, both for them and for us. Um, and this is a great opportunity. Uh, this material began life as a, um, a recording from Ligonier, a series of 12 messages in 2014. Um, and it was very, very well received. Uh, but um, Dr. Ferguson said he always wanted to write on this subject, and he's finally gotten around to it in 2021. Um, and even if you've heard the recordings and um, the uh, Sherman Isbell wrote me a note, said he listened to the recordings, uh, I think, in the last year and really profited from them. But he's looking forward to the book. And the fact is, the book's 50 percent longer uh, than the transcript of the original messages um, so that Dr. Ferguson thinks that you can profit from it, even if you did listen to the earlier. Um, it is um, a much fuller exposition of these chapters, although he says it's not intended to be anything like a, a commentary in the technical sense. Um, uh, but rather, he wants it to be like a running commentary on the action that's taken place uh, in this uh, farewell discourse of Jesus. Um, and uh, the uh, and the way he puts it in the introduction, he says, uh, uh, "There, what I would want is that there'll be moments when reading these pages, you'll feel as I did in writing them, that I was there in the upper room itself, meeting with Christ, watching him, listening to him teach, and pray." Uh, that that sounds like just a wonderful opportunity to me. And I hope um, that you'll be looking forward to it. We're going to start on this on August 4th. If you can't get the book by then, um, I do have a transcript that I made of the first chapter that, um, in a digital form that I could send out to you. So um, uh, don't wait if you don't think you're going to get it in time. My book still hasn't come. Um, but uh, 
the um, uh, let me know if you if you didn't get that. Um, you'll see that we're going to start on the fourth, and then on the eighteenth, uh, we'll not have any class. Um, and on the twentieth, we won't have a class. Uh, the eighteenth, for a much happier reason than the twentieth. Uh, Jenny and I will be celebrating our, our uh, anniversary on August 17th and 18th. And uh, on the other hand, on October 20th, I'll be in Atlanta, unless the uh, Delta variant excludes us at an SJC meeting. But you'll see, what I'm going to try and do is take up a chapter a week. Um, I don't think that'll be too quick a pace. Um it, it may not be fast enough, and if so, I'll revise uh, and see if we can get through it more quickly. But in any case, you see what I'm, I'm hoping for is that you'll have read the chapter carefully and we'll be able to spend a good bit of time in discussion of what you've read. Um, as always, uh, if he refers to a scripture text, I hope you'll take the time to look it up. And also keep a notebook, perhaps, next to you as you're reading so that you can write down any terms that he uses that you don't get the sense of or any question you have concerning Dr. Ferguson's teaching. That will be profitable for all of us if you can bring to our meeting the things that you've been thinking about and wondering about. Uh, and I'd highly recommend you having a notebook nearby. Um I think that that's all I want to say about um, the book and the introduction. Has anyone had received your copy yet? Did you order it and get and have it in hand? Yeah, mine, mine came, Dave. But Sarah ordered it along with some concise theologies uh, for the kids for the. Summer Study Institute. It took two days, I think, from Amazon. Oh, oh, that's fantastic. I should have ordered mine from Amazon. <laughs> I, I ordered mine from Ligonier. Uh, yeah. uh, let's see. Now, uh, over a week ago, and I just got a notice that the book has appeared in Indiana, and it's waiting for a truck. <laughs> I'm holding my copy, and it is shrink wrap, which is so weird to me. Do, do most books come shrink wrap? I don't usually get shrink wrap books when I order a book. Uh, I get a fair amount of them shrink wrapped. Um, it must it must help um, with packing, I think. Uh, you know, it stabilizes the text block so that it can't be crushed. Yeah. Um, and and um, d- tell me, I've not seen the book physically. How many pages are there in the first chapter? Well, it's shrink wrap, so I'm going to oh. take the shrink wrap. It's okay. I'll, 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 let me take it off. And you can take the shrink wrapping off. I was enjoying the reflective quality of the shrink wrap. Um, the first chapter is about 18 pages, it looks like. Oh. Paul's already, Paul beat me to it. All right. I... Yeah, that's correct. Uh, 17, 18. Oh, it goes to the top of page 19 in my edition. You know what? I have a fancy uh, card on the back of mine. I turn on my camera, but it doesn't work. And it falls out. And that's why I guess the book is shrink-wrapped. It says you can download the ebook for free 
Go to ligonier.org, Lessons from the Upper Room ebook. Oh, my. With hyphens between each of them. Do you want to put that in the chat? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Lessons from the Upper Room ebook. All right, so if you want an ebook, oh, there's a unique code you got to enter. Oh. Should I give all this away to the... Uh... Probably not. <laughs> I guess it's for people that bought this. It's like when you buy a, a CD, if anyone yeah. still does that, and they give you a download of the... Yes, right. No. All right, I won't, I won't give it away. Make everybody buy it. So to those of you who are contemplating, is 18 pages, say, a week, if, if, if that's the average chapter? Is that too many to try and take up? No. Uh, the next chapter goes to 14, and the one after that is 10, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it hops around. Yeah. All right. Uh, any questions about any of this. Ingrid, are you trying to? Oh, I was just going to say I ordered the ebook. Oh. Um, and, you know, that's pretty much instantaneous. <laughs> yes. Instant gratification there. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. From Ligonier. Fantastic. Well, I'll look forward to being with you next week, and we'll take this up. Um, I, I think it's going to be a, a wonderful study. Uh, so let me close with prayer. Father, um, we are ever thankful for your word. We are grateful for Dr. Ferguson's and lifetime of teaching, his very careful study and uh, um, his wonderful gifts and abilities and especially his ministry as a writer. And we pray that um, you would use his studies from this precious passage of Scripture to help us to come to see Christ more clearly and to um, grow in our love for him and admiration for his wisdom, uh, to find strength and comfort in his words to his disciples, uh, knowing that in this remarkable section, um, Christ is clearly looking forward to us. Uh, that is, those who would be brought to be part of the, uh, the disciples' band through the ministry of the apostles. And um, we look forward to the study and ask you to bless it for Christ's sake. Amen.